Let's get on with the really interesting people. Alrighty. Not us. Nope. Yeah. We're interesting. <laughs> to who? Us. <laughs> Our audience. Us. Who else do you think listens to the show, Ryan? Beth. <laughs> Thanks, Beth. This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, my name is Rob Minot. Did you and hear the solid hit that I got I on that? That was good. That was a major. That was probably one of the best cowbells. You should, <laughs> you should keep that for future reference. Just look Wait, it We have to sample that. Copy, uh, copy my, and paste, copy and paste. Uh, joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hi there. And cow... <laughs> <laughs> what was that? It was a hi and howdy. That just went hi there. <laughs> well done, sir. <laughs> Way to f*** up the podcast immediately. Comedy <laughs> gold. Opening line. Blah, blah. I'm just giving you stuff for the outtake show at the end of the year. Uh, you think that's going to be an outtake? You that's never going know. in the front. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and joining us as well, cowbell player extraordinaire, Mr. Steve Barkley. Howdy ho. Uh, yeah. You guys excited? Mm, excited it's as It's a beautiful always. day out. Look you at that. It's a beautiful fall this. day out. It's a little chilly out, though. Yeah, it's it's a bit chill. It might brisk. Well, what's 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 new? What's, what's shaking there, Mr. Ryan? What's going on with you? Anything exciting? No. Life is going on as it normally does. Well, you're boring. I am boring. Um, what's going on with you? Don't don't make this about me. <laughs> don't turn this around. How dare you? Yeah, Did I, uh, I have the original recording? <laughs> have you have you tried Braille Uno yet? No, I have not. Hmm. Does this interest you at all? No, it does not. Did you I, play Uno before you lost your sight? I was trying to remember. Is Uno the one that have like the little colored cards as well? Like there's uh, green, yellow, blue on the cards, and you have to match your colors. I or think you have to so. Same colors. Yeah, I think it's like. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's like a matching card game. I I, I just remember I having remember. a real disdain for it. I don't <laughs> like it. Some kid on my block had it and wanted to play it all the time, and I was just like, I'm not gonna play that. I played I played Simon. You know, it had the four colored things and oh, beep, yeah. boop. Yeah, beep, yeah, I remember that. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. Oh, God, I keep, I keep forgetting. Did, your, did we ever? Did we ever get you a boppet? Kids of the eighties, a boppet? No, boppet. Yeah. No, what's a boppet? A boppet. It's a, it's a toy. It's, it's like those. Uh, I don't remember what those things were called. The wizard things, the, the four colors. But the boppet actually has uh, different. Um, uh, things on it so there's like a twist thing there's a slide thing and and it basically gives you verbal instructions so it says twist it so you twist it oh really yeah <laughs> was, is this new? like this is a toy that we had when we were kids no this was no, uh I, I, I first saw it where did i first see it i was it the blazies i'm trying to remember really yeah it goes back a ways but huh. uh, somebody somebody had it at a convention and we had all kinds of fun with it at a convention but inadvertently it was a fully accessible toy Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Look Thank it you. up on eBay. 
Yeah, I keep forgetting Ryan's younger than us. I was like, Simon. Yep. I was like, <laughs> I never played with Simon. That was way after. Oh, we had, yeah, oh, we had to play with with rocks. Yeah, <laughs> and have this high-tech stuff of blinking lights and stuff. Remember Tinker Toys? You had little round wooden wheels. Yeah, I had a can of those. Yeah, yeah. I, once, I once hit my sister with the Tinker Toy box. <laughs> she was bullying me as per usual, and I threw it at her. My, my dad came in and went, he had it coming. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I tell you. Um, that was a great time for toys. The 80s. What, the 80s? The 80s, yeah. Kids now I, don't, I don't have toys. It's all electronics. And, uh, you, know, you could use your imagination. 80s, I was all into uh, D&D and uh, the it's... Apple II Plus computer. <laughs> <laughs> He's a true nerd. Yeah. Uh, I remember I had Tinker Toys. I don't know. I had that. Remember that slime stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I had that. Oh, I had that one of those once. Remember my, Silly Putty? Yeah, I remember oh, yeah. Silly Putty. Yeah, I used yeah, Silly yeah, Putty. I had Silly Putty. Slinky? Remember Slinky? The, uh, you the, know what? I always wanted yeah. a Slinky. Never <laughs> got one. I, I really? I really yeah. enjoyed the Slinky. <laughs> they also had, you know, the best theme song, right? A slinky. That's slinky. Right. Yeah, that's right. It's a wonderful <laughs> toy. Yep. Under, I bet you that slime stuff had to have been toxic. Oh, <laughs> probably. It almost certainly was. <laughs> probably, probably knocked a few years off my life when, playing with it. When you had science class, did they ever bring out mercury and let you play with it in your hands? No. Did they do that they, with you? Yeah, they did that with me. Wow, they yeah, hated probably, you guys. Probably explains a lot. <laughs> like, yeah, science teachers getting revenge on the students. Yeah. They had little mm. bastards. Yeah. I'll, I'll give them a... Okay. Here you go, kids. Play with, play with some mercury. Yeah. Lick it. It's <laughs> a metal. Oh, well, it's Taste lunchtime. It. Write an essay on how it tastes. Yeah. Uh, what was that? What were we talking about? I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> it's probably the mercury. <laughs> No, as we were talking about toys, we had to make our own toys. I remember we took kites and we like put, oh, yeah. put nails and stuff in them and uh -huh. like turned them into like battle kites. Yeah, really? battle kites and yeah. just would fly them and try to wreck each other's kites. Oh, geez. Yeah, we we're crazy. Yeah, I was into model rockets back then too. Right, those little SDs model mm. rockets. I would build my own rockets and then I. Then I graduated to, to making missiles, basically. <laughs> got, got sick of the parachutes not opening on the on the kit ones and having them come crashing to the ground. So I'd just start taking paper rolls and stuff and then <laughs> stuffing them full of things like, you know, um, oh, uh, what did I put in them? Sawdust and things like that. <laughs> Glitter, whatever. You know? <laughs> so they'd just go up to the top and explode. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, I wish I would have. Yeah, we went through a phase where we used to like take little Hot Wheels cars and like dip them in gasoline and then light them on fire. <laughs> we had a lot of emotional problems no as, a, doubt. as a child. Living up there, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen. I know. Uh, hey, Ryan. It's a sad story. Yes, Ryan. sir. Ryan. Rob. Uh, what are we doing today? Today we are talking with Brett Obagard about a project called UniD. Oh, interesting. You know what? I was reading up on him. You know where he is based? Honolulu. You do. I yeah. do. Oh, so, lucky bum. Mm -hmm. I know. Oh, cool. Well, that's going to be a little bit later. Uh, first, hey, I want to talk to you guys about something. What do you want to talk to us about, Rob? Well, I got a little bit, little piece of news that I think you guys might find interesting. I might have some f interesting news. things to say about it. Uh, did you hear that Uber has launched a new service called Uber Pet? No. No. 
Uber Pet lets furry friends join the ride for a fee. Uh, Uber is experimenting with a new feature that aims to reduce cancellations as a result of customers bringing a pet along for the ride. Dubbed, well, hold on, don't clap too soon. You, we haven't, I haven't read the finished reading the article. You might not. Don't need to, but keep going. Uh, dubbed Uber. <laughs> uh, dubbed Uber Pet, the new feature will be available in select cities starting on October 16th. It used to be that bringing a dog or a cat in an Uber was unpredictable. Uber recommended customers contact their drivers before bringing pets in the car, but it's likely that many people didn't follow this advice. Surprise pets are among the many complaints that you'll hear from Uber drivers, along with drunk people throwing up, I'm sure. <laughs> That's right. That's probably <laughs> number, probably number one. <laughs> uh, drivers have allergies or don't want to deal with shedding or cleanup. As a result, oftentimes the ride would be canceled. Uber wants to reduce that friction with this new feature. Now, riders can select Uber Pet among the list of options before selecting a ride. A surcharge of three to five dollars will be included in the upfront pricing when the option is selected in the app. Meanwhile, drivers who don't feel like shepherding creatures of the four-legged variety can opt out in the preferences section of the driver app. Uh, if, however, they choose to welcome those pets as passengers, they will be guaranteed to, rece to receive a significant portion of the surcharge on top of their standard trip earnings. Now, uh, of course, the relevant part of this is that uh, service animals are exempt course because service yeah, animals that was where i was going next yeah service yeah. animals uh will of course ride in any uber any of the uber services yes but yes. but that's exactly where i'm yes but. but and that's why i applauded because i give uber credit for at least making some sort of attempt to actually have drivers who will pick up people with animals you no guarantees with taxi companies no guarantees how many times have we heard of cars just pulling away when they see a guide dog yeah you know you have no guarantees with a, with, a, with a taxi. At least with Uber Pet, if I have to pay three to five bucks, at least I know I've got a ride. Yeah, but well, hold, but hold on, though. You, if you have a service dog, I mean, you should be able to call a regular Uber and they cannot refuse you. I mean, you they're, should, they're, well, but no, it happens. You, well, I understand that it yes. happens, but it shouldn't happen. And that's where... Exactly. Well, this is where my issue with this is. Not that, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's a I think it's a great idea. I mean, somebody has to take their dog or cat to the vet or something mm -hmm. that needs, you know, you don't want to go through that hassle. Uh, yep. So you know, I'm sure that anybody who who wants to take their, um, uh, you know, pet, uh, in an Uber, this is going to be a great service for them. But I think that the danger is you don't want this to get confused with service animals, and you we you certainly don't want Uber drivers to think that they can opt out of, you know. A service animal mm -hmm. pickup because right. somebody didn't check the pet box. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So yeah. again, this is something where training has to be real clear. You know, yeah. Real mm -hmm. clear. Yeah. Um, and there that there is a, a big difference between a service animal and a pet. And so hopefully this new service doesn't blur those lines or make it even more murky in terms of uh, just what Uber's policies are. Because, you know, we've just, uh, you know, a few months ago we were reading about um problems within uber where drivers were were not picking up people with service animals yeah so it you know it has happened even just recently so hopefully this doesn't 
uh, blur those lines even more. Right. And that's why, you know, I think as somebody, if I am living on my own and I have a service animal of whatever type and I need to get to a vet appointment, I'm going to pay the three to five bucks and I'm not going to take the chance of a car not pulling up and leaving me away. I'll pay the money to have a guaranteed ride because I have an appointment I have to be at. Mm. You know, if my pet's sick or whatever, I need to be there. If your pet is, yes. But right. I mean, if you have a service dog. Your service dog might need to go in for shots well, or no, check but, up. Or... But you, I mean, if you want to go to the mall, you, mm-hmm. you should be able to take your service animal on an, in, on an Uber, mm-hmm. a normal Uber. You shouldn't have to pay the 3 to $5. Absolutely. Uh, and and if, that's, I agree with that. But I'm saying if it's an appointment that I need to get to with a, with a service animal, I, I, will pay the, I will pay the service fee to guarantee a ride. See, Ryan, I will advocate for you and say that that's unacceptable. <laughs> I totally uh, you should agree. not have to. That's three to five dollars you could be spending on Timbits because clearly you're addicted you should to them because not I have to bring to. them in again today. You should not have to, but reality is, Rob, we hear it day after oh, day. I know. People I know. are being turned away. But listen, so, we have to we have to make yes, the, we, we have, have to, to fight the fight. Yes, we do. If you so, have to get somewhere, you know what? I'm going to get there. No, they, no. Could, <laughs> they could probably solve this just by having a checkbox that says service animal and it exempts the fee. Oh, sure they could. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. That way the driver knows that there's going to be a service animal there. It's yeah. no, there's no surprise to the driver. A driver who doesn't want to take a ride with a dog doesn't have to if they've got, you know, allergies right. or something. Um, yeah, it would just, to me, that just makes sense. Look at that. Well, well and, you know, again, why doesn't this happen with taxi companies? Exactly. Uh, service they, companies. Well, you know, you know, come on. Taxi companies well, mafia, have only had but, 50 years to work yeah, this out. I know. You know we're, we, we don't want to rush them or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes look at that mm-hmm. Steve just solved the problem uh, way to go Steve that's what I'm here for anything else to say about that no I'm still waiting for Uber and Lyft to get here I can't oh, wait d- yeah I know can't wait when, it, when is that supposed to start up I thought any time now I thought it was October the end of October I think that while they're still trying to get drivers to get their class four licenses, right? That's the stipulation is they have to have a class four driver's license to be an Uber driver here. So mm, that's ridiculous. It'll be soon. I wonder how much competition there is for drivers because you know, there's other services out there like skip the dishes, DoorDash, mm-hmm. all of that stuff that, that need drivers too. Yeah. And, and they don't require a class four license cause you're just carrying food. Right. So I wonder, you know, it, when when you put in a requirement that says you got to have a class four license, if if people just go, eh, no, I'll, I'll work for skip the dishes. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, that that was Uber's uh, argument to begin with is just that it makes it too complicated for for drivers to mm-hmm. to actually uh, bother with. Yeah, who I mean, the hell wants to go get a whole another license just to be an Uber Uber driver? Yeah. So or a taxi driver. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, mm. uh, in any case, uh, October 16th is the date that, uh, Uber pet is being rolled out in the following cities, Austin, Denver, Nashville, Minneapolis, South Paul, Philadelphia, St. Paul, Minneapolis, 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 St. Paul, uh, Philadelphia, Phoenix, and Tampa Bay. So if you're in one of those cities, you are in luck. You can take your little puppy to the mall with you. You can't take it in the mall because it's not a service animal. <laughs> people, people in Tampa can take their therapy penguins or pe- right. pelicans, rather. Sorry, pelicans. 
Uh, yeah, I'm assuming penguins are okay. I haven't seen anything on this, <laughs> this article. That There's no says, banned animals list. I mean, it just says dogs and cats, but it doesn't mention. But I, can, I can't see anyone having a problem with a penguin. Me and Eric, my Eric Anaconda, are. I'm just stumbling over all kinds of words today. Eric the Anaconda. Eric the Anaconda. <laughs> There's a children's. He likes to right hug there. the drivers. <laughs> All right. I think we need to do shows Wednesdays more often. Yeah, clearly we're all full of energy. Yeah, or something. See, I t- keep telling you, get rid of those Monday shows. We did. We went to Tuesday. Well, Tuesdays <laughs> are much better. Hey, Steve, why don't you tell the fine folks about Canadian Assistive Technology? Well, Canadian Assistive Technology is a Canadian-based distributor of, guess what, Assistive Technology. I would not have guessed that. Uh, really? Oh, i got to work something better into the name then. <laughs> um, and uh, we do uh, all kinds of low vision and blindness aids, as well as all kinds of physical access aids and uh, accessible furniture, you name it. Visit our website at www.canastech.com. Rick, let me ask you about this. Chaos Technical Services. Chaos Technical Services. Don't sound so excited about it. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Speaking of repairs. We are the sister company to Canas Tech. Um, We do the repairs on uh, low vision devices, uh, uh, reading machines, uh, for libraries, braille printers, and pretty well anything in between. We can be found at uh, www.chaostechnicalservices.com. Joining us today is Brett Obergard to talk to us about the Unity Project. Hello. Hello, Brett. How are you? Doing great. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. So we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for your interest. Uh, well, listen, but before we dive into that, why don't you just give us a, a little bit of a, a background about you? Okay, well, uh, I started my career as a newspaper journalist and did that for uh, more than a decade. And um, uh, through the technological changes in journalism, I became very interested in how uh, media is affected by technology and uh, went to graduate school, started um, teaching journalism and and researching uh, mobile media in particular and um, found a great love for technical communication and and included in that is my interest in media accessibility. And media accessibility is basically the principle of all media should be accessible to all people equally. Here, here. Seems reasonable. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, uh, so... Reasonable but rarely... uh, Rarely followed principle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although these days, with everything going on down in the uh, down in the states with government and stuff, do you, do you, do you even want to look at the news anymore? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's there's some selective. Uh, I mean, but you have the choice to not not pay attention to it, as opposed to mm-hmm. uh, not having access. Like, access is the big issue for me. True. Like, you can you can choose whatever media you want to use, but um, having access to the news is the important part, or access to the media. Or access to pizza delivery services, uh, just as we were just talking about earlier, the uh, you know the big the big Domino's decision in the Supreme Court. So that's exciting. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Access, access to everything. Our principle has been uh, at least how we can affect it through audio description is to give um, everybody uh, access to the media and especially public resources that are available. 
in, in ways that um, give an equivalent experience. So it's not going to be exactly the same experience, but it's going to be an equivalent experience. So step us through a little bit about about the unit description program. Give us an idea of of what its aims are and and what it what it does. Uh, sure. Uh, so a few years ago, um, I worked with the National Park Service on a variety of different media projects, and a few years ago. They sent me a, a box of about 400 uh, brochures. They're called Unigrid brochures, um, which is the brochure you receive when you uh, first arrive at a national park. And basically asked me, you know, can you help make these accessible to people who can't see, see those? And I thought this was a really interesting uh, technical communication challenge. You know, how do you convert something that's completely visual into something that's completely audible and it's not so hard to deal with the text part which is um, simply a transcription process where you mm -hmm. copy and paste the text and then um, machine voice or perform the text but the real interesting challenges came about by um, examining the brochures and discovering that mostly they're photographs and charts and maps and all these things that are completely inaccessible uh, through the normal translation process of you know just grabbing the text, and that became um, that became our focus was how do we convert those images into um, sound? And what we discovered uh, pretty quickly was that there weren't available resources to do that. There weren't um, web tools. There weren't really third-party contractors there weren't there weren't a lot of um there weren't a lot of systems set up to do that kind of translation so we um we built our own and we built it with grant funds so it's free to everybody um to use uh, to to create audio description it's free to disseminate through the mobile apps and it's free for the audience um to download the apps and use those and we've started with the brochures at National Park Service sites, um, trying to audio scribe, um, ideally the entire National Park Service in terms of um, at least giving the basic brochure access to every site. And we worked with more than 100 parks uh, so far out of the 400 or so that exist. So this is a, a fairly huge project. Yeah, it's a big national project. And we've also done some international work in uh, in uh, Greece and in um, the Czech Republic and in a variety of places. We've done tests. Italy, we've done uh, some work in Milan. Um, so we're, our, our, our mantra is to audio describe the world. And that means not just the brochure, but every part of the experience when you go to a, a place like a public resource, like a national park, from the minute you um, walk into the building to the minute you leave, every part of that should be accessible to people who are blind or visually impaired. And we feel like audio description is um, a key component to that, although there are other things available too, like tactile displays and right. um, you know, other, other types of media that help to, to fill the picture in. So it seems to me that, I, I mean, obviously this is something that that anybody would consider long overdue. Um, but it seems to me that 
probably the the real the real catalyst for this being able to sort of gain some traction now is is partly due to technology, um, and, and I, I think partly due to the idea of of crowdsourcing um, the the task. I mean, like you said, like translating four hundred um, brochures um, would seem pretty daunting to any sort of one one agency. Um, but when you when you take that workload and you're able to do something like like you guys are doing by by crowdsourcing it, it must make it uh, a lot more tenable. Yeah, and to be clear, we're not um, doing a crowdsource in the traditional sense. We're asking like citizens to chip in. The description is done through a training uh, on a, a one week training we do with each park site. And we work with park staff to um, teach them about audio description. So we're okay. building the community of audio describers and we're building a training that is based in empirical best practices. So it's not um, anecdotal or here's what we th think we should do. We're, we're using empirical research to make best practices and to refine best practices. And then through this training, um, we're, our primary partner is the American Council uh, of the Blind, and we uh, have ACB um, serving as consultants during the training and judges during the training when we have, um, we have a hackathon-like style to our training where people participate in audio description games, and the ACB um, collaborators will We'll provide the feedback on on those descriptions, like you know, which is the best. What do they like about it? What do they not like about it? Um, so our our uh, goal there has been full integration of people who are blind and visually impaired in designing and building these these different products that we've made. So talk to us a little bit about the, the products themselves. Okay, so we have three um, three main things that we've created in this project. The first one is uh, a website with online training for people who are interested in audio description, and that includes this training that we do. This we call it a scriptathon, so it's like a hackathon, but we do description in it. And um, uh, just a few weeks ago, we brought together, for example, uh, participants from. 28 uh, national park sites, mostly in the Southeast, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, uh, mostly in those areas. And we did this via a uh, conference call and we um, spent about a week together um, just talking about the basics of audio description, how to do it, what it is, how to do it well, how to, how to um, describe particular things like photographs and maps. And, um, and then at the end of this training, uh, we have the park staff work on their own brochures. So at the end, they're, they're getting close to having a first draft done of the brochure. And then we work with them over the next few weeks um, or the following few weeks to uh, finish that brochure. And so this website and web tool we've created allows um, people in an, in an open source way, and again, free access, anybody out there who wants to do some audio description and use this tool, you can just create a free account and start using it. 
at unidescription.org, U-N-I, unidescription.org. And the, um, the tool will allow an export in, in five different ways. So once the audio description is created, it can ex the tool can export in text. It can export in HTML to put on a website. It can export in audio files, which are our tool machine voices and then creates MP3s out of. Um, it can export in a mobile app. And um, uh, what was the fourth, fifth one? Well, I'm forgetting what the fifth one is, but uh, there, there are different ways to get the audio description into the ears of people who, who would be interested in listening to it. And all this is a, a service that's been uh, funded by grants from the National Park Service and uh, Google has been a big contributor to this project. Hmm. The second um, main product is uh, a, couple, a couple of mobile apps. They're called the Unidescription apps. Again, UNI description, and you can find those on your app stores just by searching unit description. And these apps um, allow you to listen to the description that people created through our, with our web tool. And the, um, the apps are free right now. We have uh, completed, I believe, around 75 national parks. Uh, so these are some of the most iconic places in the country, we have Yellowstone, Yosemite, Washington Monument, Statue of Liberty, the Everglades, uh, places all over. And you can um, search by state or by name and um, find a park in your area, hopefully. And the, the third part of this is the research. And that's where we, um, at the end of our training, we set up uh, a couple review systems with ACB and ACB will um, first listen to the description at, uh, of the park brochure and give feedback on it. And then uh, the most important part I think is to bring a group of either ACB members or people affiliated with ACB or friends of people with ACB and uh, they travel to the park in a group and test the audio description on site and give uh, more feedback at the site through a focus group and some field tests. Any more, any plans to continue that type of rollout internationally to more places? Yeah, we did, We would love to work with other um, countries on this. Um, it's, it's basically uh, open to anyone in the world who wants to work on audio description. We've had some, some people contact us from various different countries. Canada comes to mind. Um, and it's just a matter of kind of getting the audio describer prepared for the, for the task and then completing the project and, and then getting it in the hands of the people who are in the ears of the people who want to listen to it. So, yeah, we have, we have uh, ambitions to do that, but right now the first, the fir first goal really is to finish the, complete National Park Service um, roster, which we're only about a quarter of the way through. And it is quite a daunting task. You know, you think about 400 park sites, um, you know, that's uh, like, like in this last descriptathon where we had 28 park sites, we probably had 
you know, maybe two or three representatives, sometimes up to five representatives from each park. So you're really collaborating with, you know, 75 or 100 people plus, um, and they're all over dispersed all around the country and is completely voluntary and there's no, you know, uh, requirement that they have to do it. This is, right. this is a goodwill thing on their part at this point. Uh, and we're working with the um, ACB volunteer judges who um, number around 50 at this point too. So it's a, it's a big logistical um, challenge. Um, it's a technical communication challenge, but ultimately it's a, it's a social justice issue where people are not getting access to public resources and they should have access to these public resources. And we're trying to change that dynamic. So, I mean, you know, again, it, it just sounds daunting for sure. But that being said, um, does like how does where we're at technologically right now sort of make the job a lot easier? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so when I started my graduate uh, school studies at the dissertation level, um, the iPhone had just came out the app store had recently opened and there was a big um kind of uh emergence of mobile technologies and all the affordances of mobile technologies and i think mobile media has really made this possible of course the the building of it we're doing in a kind of a traditional website um format but the dissemination to to be able to to be able to share this information via smartphones, mm -hmm. which most um, adults in America have today, has been kind of the big game changer in the sense that we don't have to develop for, you know, 17 different third party systems. We develop right. um, basically the same app for Android and iOS uh, Apple devices and and uh, most people are able to access uh, the information through that at the site where they want it in the car on the way there you know whatever whatever situation they have it's it's very easy to get the information and that has i, I think you're right that's really changed the way um the possibilities are for audio description is there much in the way of updating that you have to do to the system over over time you know if a windstorm goes through a park or something and knocks down a bunch of trees we had that happen recently here in vancouver um do you, do you well, the uh, the way we have designed this, and I think this is part of the the real strength of the project, is we're we're not subcontractors, we're not oriented toward profit. We're building an infrastructure, and then we're giving it away. So there's no uh, middleman in the way of updates. Uh, the people at the park sites, it's like uh, Hawaii volcanoes, is a good example where the volcanoes uh, uh, have have uh, dramatically changed the way that park functions and looks and things like that. Um, and so the people at the park can simply sign into their account and make those changes and they're instantaneously um, ported into the app. And uh, if they're using the HTML we provide, it'll automatically port all those changes into the, into the um, website, you know, without any kind of delay. So one of the one of the big um, issues with these kinds of projects usually is 
you hire a subcontractor, you get some audio description done. Three, three months later, six months later, you have to make a change. And then getting that change to happen is, you know, could take six more months or something like that. And we wanted to remove all that um, friction and, and inertia in the process. So our, um, our tools allow people to just, I mean, they can, they can uh, change it at any time, the material. They can put seasonal material in there and turn it on and off based on the season, you know, and it'll appear sometimes and not appear other times. Um, there's just, it's a very flexible, powerful tool and people have found quite a few ways to be creative with it. Yeah, I guess if a volcano is erupting, that's something that you want. That's an update you want to push out right, right, right away. <laughs> Don't yeah, step well, the, the danger of it, and then also um, it affected the way people uh, visit the park, you know, which places are open, which places right, are right. Um, accessible, what people will see when they get there. So if you're going to audio describe that, you want to make sure the description matches what people are seeing, not what they could see last, you know, last, you know, last month or something. Right. Right. Hot. um let's talk a little bit about uh the audio description portion of it um i'm just curious to know sort of what the what your experience has been with the training portion of it um you know I, i think that a lot of people have misconceptions about just the this the type of skill set that's required to really produce um, effective audio description. Um, do you find that a lot of people who go through the course are kind of surprised by that? Yeah, I think it's, it's not, I mean, it's something everyone can do proficiently with training, but some people are better at it than others based just on their natural skills as a writer, or maybe natural is not the right, right word, but the aptitudes they have as a writer. Right. Um, so good audio description, um, is clear. It's, um, concrete, it's, um, evocative, you you know, there are lots of, um, techniques we can train people to use, but when it comes down to it, really, it's that translation, you know, how does a person translate a, a photograph into words? Or, or one of the biggest, um, and most complicated things we've studied are, are maps, um, you imagine, say, the map of Yosemite, which is, you know, roughly the size of a state and um, all the little roads on it and rivers and lakes and um, wayside way, stops and all the different things. And there's no um, there's no uh, central focus to it. You know, it's 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 a nonlinear um, non-centralized experience to use a map. And so we've, um, spent a lot of time just really understanding what a map is and deconstructing that idea. And then also how can you turn the visual aspects of a map into audible aspects that people can uh, find useful, but also, um, you know, kind of enlightening and, and, bring, bring context to a place that the, the things that a map does that are not navigation oriented. So it's, it sounds like you guys sort of had to custom build your own 
version of audio description because you know typically you know audio audio description is used for things like you know other types of media tv shows stuff like that but it sounds like there was even another level for you guys that you guys had to um use in this training is that is that correct that is correct. Most of the um, academic literature or even uh, literature in the public domain about audio description is related to uh, theater and film and TV, uh, which are, are the origins of audio description. And there's very little um, that's been studied on what we call static media, which is photographs, illustrations, charts, maps, um, anything that doesn't move. And we've found that um, most of the most of the discourse and 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 um, discussion about how to do that kind of work is is based in anecdotes uh, brought over from from the television or TV or or film audio describing, which is quite a different dynamic. Because in a film, you may have three seconds to describe something between di- pieces of dialogue, and in Static media, we have as much time as we want, right. you know, as much time as the audience will give us. So our, a lot of people um, ask, well, does that mean, um, you know, that people want short descriptions or long descriptions or what do they want? And to me, the answer is very simple. From all our tests, they want high quality descriptions. And if you give a good description, and you do it in a way that people can drop out once they get bored, uh, people will, will stay with those descriptions for a long time, a lot longer than people, than the, the kind of literature suggests. Yeah. It's the same with listening to an audiobook. If I'm, if I've got a, a bad describer or narrator, you know, I pretty much bail on that book cause I just can't get into it. I can't listen to it for prolonged periods of time. Yeah, right. That's a that's a big part of it. Just even the performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and 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 if the person's not doing a good job describing, I mean, we have some of our descriptions are are, are near literary in quality, and and the ACB judges will and reviewers will tell us this, this is just beautiful writing, and they just enjoy listening to the the writing that explains the image and it's it's a it's a sort of a a form of entertainment on its own as opposed to audio description often is is conceptualized as very utilitarian and uh uh, very um oriented on like getting a task done or something like that and i think that's part of it but our discoveries in the research process here have been that audio description really has been um undervalued and underused and it it is it is its own um genre or medium that has potential that hasn't been tapped yet oh yeah i mean 100 percent. i mean that's you know even because we we've talked to to quite a few people in um the audio description field um both here in canada and down there and it really is um sort of uh, something that's that's evolving right now um, I know in Canada here, you know, just recently, um, it's it's been legislated that uh, a certain amount of primetime content uh, here on on our, on our major uh, cable channels uh, are are required to have audio description. Um, 
do do you get that sense? Do you down there like do you do you feel that um, audio description is beginning to sort of g- gain some sort of traction? And do you feel like you know in the next few years that we might actually really see some some action in that regard? Oh, I think so. In in Hawaii, where I'm at, um, that we actually have a law that requires audio described um, screenings of every movie that's put on here, and um, audio description to me is where it is now is basically where closed captioning or open captioning was maybe 15, 20 years ago where people were starting to realize, you know, that this is great for people who are deaf or hard of hearing, but it also has other uh, benefits for society as a whole. Yeah. And I think audio description uh, has a lot of that same potential that just hasn't been tapped yet. Uh, When you, uh, listen to a description of a photograph as opposed to just say glance at it. It really um, forces you to reflect upon what is in the image and how the image was put together and, you know, just what it all means in ways that I don't think you can get through the eyes. And this is something that uh, has become very, uh, like a very um, powerful source of information for people, not only that are blind or visually impaired or print dyslexic, or even people who are acoustic learners. You know, a lot of people just right. learn better through the years than they do through reading or, That's right. or watching videos. But there's also just a general benefit to society of taking the time to um, describe what a visual element is composed of and what it means and increasing that that literacy about um, visual communication. Well put. We agree 100%. (laughs) You've got me thinking now about audio descriptions of photographs. I'm looking at a poster on Ryan's wall trying to think, how would I describe that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. I mean, every, like in our training, we start out with portrait images. So we'll take a portrait, like a really tightly cropped portrait of just a person from the, you know, uh, half the torso up to the top of the head, no background, and um, having people describe that person. And when when you do that, you, you start to think about, like, what am I baking into my thoughts about this photograph? You know, is this, is like, what do I bake in when I'm thinking about the gender of this person? What do I bake in when I'm thinking about the ethnicity of this person? What do I bake in when I'm thinking about the, the uh, clothes they're wearing or the expression on their face? And all these things are, are happening, um, but not articulated or expressed. And doing that kind of exercise helps, I think, I think create a greater reflection upon the way um, communication has, has generally moved into this extremely quick visual realm. Uh, like if you imagine a video, um, you know, say even 10 years ago, used to have, a, 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 say, five seconds or 10 seconds between cuts. And now it's down to like one to three seconds between right. cuts. Sometimes even I've, I've, I've uh, seen videos where they're cutting like twice in a second, yeah. you know, to a different scene or a different image or a different perspective or whatever. 
And all that's done uh, in a way to communicate information. And if it's not audio described, think how much information gets lost right there. Mm. I mean, incredible amount of information. It's true. And then a credible amount of information is being um, conveyed to the audience that way. So as communication gets more and more visual uh, in lots of realms, we get this um, ocular centrism that has kind of taken over. And we're forgetting about all the other powerful senses we have. You know, the, the uh, ear is an incredibly powerful um, sense. And, and, of course, we have all sorts of other senses, um, you know, related, related not only to, like, smell or taste, but also the way we feel when we're walking up a hill or, or the way we feel the temperature of the room is. There's all these senses we have. And uh, those are kind of kind of all squashed in this, this ocular centric view that um, modern media has taken. And I, I, th I think we lose a lot in that respect. And, and, and bringing audio description into the picture uh, helps to balance the scales a bit. I'm totally stealing that uh, that word ocular centrism. <laughs> but but you, but it's that's interesting because because really when you think about it, I mean they've been saying for for years now that you know everybody's attention span is going down and and the way that we consume mm -hmm. um, a lot of conventional media, um, you're absolutely right. Like quick cuts, like even like looking at a at a, at a Facebook news feed or Instagram feed or whatever it is, you're you're you think about how fast people will scroll through um, images and and posts and stuff. And it's you know we're talking you know seconds. People aren't slowing down to really consume any given media. So it it is an interesting element to have this sort of this audio overlay that maybe would slow that consumption down and actually, you know, create a little bit um, more of an impact with some of the, the media that we're consuming on a daily basis. I think it would um, bring to the foreground what the visual communicators are trying to um, articulate through their images. And then that will give the audience a better chance to participate. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're watching a video and it's even if it's cutting every one second in one minute, you've had 60 images put before your eyes. There's no way you can process that much information that quickly. And so it's almost working on your subconscious, you know, the, how that, that um, message is being conveyed. And that's, you know, that's fine for some types of media and some circumstances where you're just, you know, maybe trying to relax or get entertained or something. But it's not uh, really the best way to um, communicate with others or to to have an interactive communication right. where people are taking the time to interpret and consider your message. And and, and the Facebook uh, feed is a good example. You know, you can scroll down a Facebook feed and I don't know, see dozens of images in five seconds or yep. uh, and then how much are you really taking in or how much is getting uh, brought into your mind that you're not really even aware of being put in there. Right. Talk to us a little bit about the online course itself. Um, how long does it, would it take it? Well, first of all, it's, it's completely free as you, as you mentioned. Um, how long in generally does it take to, uh, work through it? Uh, what's called the unity Academy. So unit description, we shorten that to unity. We're trying to bring unity to, uh, audio description 
in uh, around the world. And the Unity Academy is available on the Unity Description website. And there are different modules, so it depends on if you want to do all the training or um, just some of the training. So, for example, um, say you just want to learn about how to audio scribe maps. Um, that particular training would maybe maybe take 30 minutes or so. I don't know if I've timed it. Um, all of our training together, if you do the online version, you could probably do it in a day. Um, our, our descriptathons, which are highly interactive and, and game-based in the, in the way we approach them, those we do over a three-day period with independent uh, work beforehand and afterward. And then um, during those three days, we give breaks for people to work on their own brochures and things to practice what we um, were teaching them. Can I send you a picture of Rob and Steve and have you describe <laughs> them to me? I haven't seen these guys. I, I've, I've never actually seen these guys because I'm totally blind and I'd be really curious. Yeah, 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 that'd be fun. <laughs> and, and, and we lie. We also tell them we're buff and good looking and stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's right. We're seven feet tall, 300 pounds. <laughs> can, dunk, can dunk a basketball between my legs. That's right, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Or at least I'll send you a picture of the poster Steve was talking about. Have him describe it and you guys describe it and see what comes out because I have no idea what's on my wall. <laughs> I, yeah. think, I think there's a Well, rock. that's really interesting. Uh, a couple people on our project, uh, one of our co-PIs is she's legally blind and deaf. Um, and one of my research assistants is uh, blind. And she, uh, I'll talk about my research assistant. She would come into my office and uh, sit in a chair by the door and one day we started talking and, and I mentioned something, you know, on my, on my shelf or whatever. And she said, Oh, you have shelves on the wall. And I thought, Oh yeah, you know, I've never described my office here. So I'd, <laughs> I spent about five minutes just describing the office to her Yep. and that helped, um, give her some context to the work environment Right. that it's just one of those things where, where if you, if you don't think about that, it's, it is, um, leaving people out of, of the full experience. Yeah, guys. Well, no, seriously, like I'm, I'm, I'm seriously going to go through the courses. Cause I think, I, I don't know. I think in general, it's just, I think they're just really good skills to have. And I think that anyone would benefit Absolutely. From, from, from going through it. And Hey, who knows? We could and it also it. helps designing, um, your media. You know, if you That's design right. a video with audio description in mind beforehand, um, a lot of the dialogue can do the description instead of having right. to inject uh, audio description in between dialogue. Right. And, you know, voiceovers can do the description instead of having to um, try to cram stuff in afterward. And I think, you know, just having that audio description sensibility um, in the early in the design process makes a big difference in, in making more accessible media. You don't have to do as much on the back end, and then and then the final product is a lot more interesting and um, and more more widely accessible by all types of people. And again, it's not just people who are blind or visually impaired. You also have people who um, are acoustic learners. They really are oriented or have high aptitude to learn by listening to things and and if the media is 
uh, tilted towards something they have, say, a low aptitude for, like learning through watching something, um, that privileges the people who can see it versus the people who can't. Yeah. And I mean, even doing something like, you know, I do, I do a lot of web work. So, you know, even things like alt tagging images, um, you know, those are there or, you know, on Twitter feeds and stuff, if you're all tagging your, um, you know, any sort of photos that you're dumping into social media, you know, again, it would be extremely useful to sort of have some some insight on just how to describe a, a photo effectively, because it's not as intuitive as you might think in terms of, you know, really painting a picture for somebody who can't see it. Right. And alt tag is the start, not the end of audio description. So alt tag um, and Facebook has tried to do autom automatic uh, audio. They call it audio description, but it's really like alt tagging. And an uh, example would be there's a there's a photograph of a dog with a Frisbee mm -hmm. and Facebook can use um you know, visual recognition software to determine there's a dog and there's a Frisbee in the photograph and, it, and they can tag it that way. But as you might wonder, what kind of dog? Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> What's the dog doing with a Frisbee? Is the dog <laughs> jumping in the air? Is the dog chewing on the Frisbee? Is, you know, mm -hmm. what's happening here? So that's the kind of thing that um, artificial intelligence hasn't been able to, to pull off yet. And these are really important. Um, these are really important pieces of information yeah. for somebody who can't see the image. You will absolutely. Uh, another good example uh, uh, from one of my friends in ACB. He says when he goes into a gift shop at a national park, um, he's often with somebody because you know somebody drove him there or whatever. And uh, the person will say, yeah, we got, you know, there's T-shirts and keychains and stuffed animals, you know, a variety of things. And that really doesn't help him figure <laughs> out like, OK, well, I want to buy a memento here, but you're, you're giving me such an abstract collection of things. It's not really that interesting. And the person will often take uh, uh, the friend of mine to the, to the stuff that 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 person likes, you know, instead of the thing that my friend might like. And then like, say he wants to get a t-shirt, like, Oh, I'd like to get a t-shirt here of, uh, you know, in, um, in Denali at, at the gift shop and there's a bear on the t-shirt. Okay. So the friend will say there's a bear on the t-shirt. And then my friend will say, well, what kind of bear? Is this a bear wearing a, uh, you know, Christmas hat? Is it, you know, is it a, a ferocious bear eating a seal, you know, I don't, <laughs> I want a certain type of a shirt. I don't, you know, I want a certain color shirt. I want a certain, um, you know, cut to it, a certain look to it. And these are all things that uh, a lot of people take for granted. And, um, and audio scripting could help to solve a lot of these issues, I believe. So some of the expansion of the project uh, include we're working on a um, browser extension where we'll be able to provide audio description for images on the web. And then those images will, uh, if the image is on more than one site and we, you have our browser extension in place, it'll, it'll uh, carry the audio description to that image as well. We're working on um, auto apps. So a lot of cars today have 
uh, app systems built into it, and you can listen to audio description uh, that's geolocated uh, from our project. For example, the Blue Ridge Parkway is one of the parks we've been working with, and they have uh, several hundred miles of uh, national park that they cover. And obviously you wouldn't be walking several hundred miles, you'd be driving it. So when you're in your car and you drive uh, near a wayside sign, uh, our system will recognize where you're at and provide that description over your car audio. Um, we have um, just a variety of, we have some aesthetic uh, projects we're working on. We have a grant uh, proposal in consideration right now with the National Endowment for the Arts to create a piece of audio description sound art with sound artists where you bring not only the text but ambient sound and all the tricks that the sound artists use to create a beautiful piece of sound. You know, there's a potential there. Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of there's a lot of area to develop in this in this field and um, I think we're just at the the very beginning of it. Any any improvements to the voice quality or synthesized speech coming down the road? Well, the voice is an interesting issue because we want to keep it free. We have to use an open source voice. Right. And there's also some contractual issues with um, the National Park Service in the sense that if we offer National Park Service content, we can't use a um, a uh, voice that costs money to use hmm. unless we have some kind of uh, funding in place that will cover the cost of that voice in uh, forever. Okay. <laughs> so the, um, the short answer there is that the, the voice we use now to create the, to ma the machine voice uh, sound is the best open source voice that we could find. If you have a better one, please let us know. Okay. The second part of that is we provide the audio description in a variety of different formats. So um, most of our users right now, it's like 75% of our users are using their own screen readers or their own uh, voices on their, on their devices right. that they've set up to go at the speed they like, which is usually yep. <laughs> four to six times uh, normal speed. And then the type of voice they like male or female, um, you know, there's a, there's a variety of voices out there that yep. people can, can uh, put on their devices. So most of the, it's mostly the, uh, I'd say more advanced users use their own voice. And then the 25% are, are the kind of the beginning, uh, users, people who say by aging have become blind or visually impaired or just getting started using audio description and they use that machine voice. Uh, it's not, it's not a great voice. We acknowledge that, but uh, right now it's the best option we have. So we're hopeful that um, we can improve that. Yeah, no, it was definitely listenable and intelligible. You know, I could understand what it was telling me. Yeah, it's just one of those things that um, we're kind of constrained to which voice we can use. And then the other part of it is most people don't use that anyway. Right. They use the screen readers. Yeah. And then they often listen at much higher speeds. Uh, we had a consultant working with us for a while that I think he listened at 22 times normal speed. And I literally could not understand a word of it, but he, he could figure out everything. Yeah. That's Ryan. <laughs> so it was amazing. Yeah. 
Well, it's no different, I think, than, you know, you cited people, you're reading a book, you're skipping the it's, ofs, thes, ands, you know. Yep. And yeah, so, yeah, so, it was incredible. Same I idea. mean, he, he, he was doing uh, computer programming at 22 times normal speed. <laughs> so I think that was like a super ear. I mean, that's beyond what even an equivalent like scanning would do. He, he, he was a very, he's a very talented person. Wow. Yep. See, really what should happen. Morgan Freeman should just be a bro and like release <laughs> the licensing to his voice and then they can just synthesize Morgan Freeman and that can just be the, Morgan Freeman could be the narrator of the human race. That's right. From here on in. They can just, that would be good. Yeah, we missed our shot with James Earl Jones. So, That's right. Uh, so let's let's not lose Morgan Freeman before we sample, <laughs> sample his voice. And, uh, well, there are a couple of issues with a perform voice too. Um, the reason we use machine voice is because with machine voice, we can instantly have the um, text uh, verbalized. And if you use a perform voice, our tool does allow people to um, uh, upload their own performance. So if Robert Redford or whatever wants to read the, the script, you can do that. Uh, again, the, the main issue is maintenance. So when a word changes or a date changes or mm-hmm. some content changes and you would think a national park wouldn't change that often, but they actually um, are quite fluid in the way the interpretations are constantly being refreshed and, um, you know, just different aspects of the park are changing. Uh, the people at the park sites can make those changes right away without having, you know, to, oh, let me get on uh, on a Robert Redford's schedule again. You know, these are the kinds of <laughs> yeah. uh, practicalities that we've built into the system. Now I just want to hear Morgan Freeman at 22 times speed. (laughs) (laughs) That would be pretty good. (laughs) Uh, Listen, we want to thank you so much. Oh, wait, you know, before we let you go, uh, give out the the website again. Anybody who's interested, uh, where can they go to find out more information about the Unidescription project? Uh, It's unidescription.org, unidescription.org. The name is based on the... um, the founding uh, source of our project, which is the UniGrid brochure. And so we play off that and we call it the Unity project uh, for short. And then that builds into our mantra. We're, we're again trying to bring unity to the world of audio scription. It's kind of a fractured world where a lot of people aren't, um, you know, necessarily working together or communicating well together. And we feel like we can, we can be a hub for that. And also the um, bigger mantra is to audio describe the world. So one of the things when uh, people come to the national park on our field visits uh, from ACB and they listen to the brochure and and, um, they hear all this information and they get to the site and the first, literally like the first thing after we're done with the brochure is, okay, what can we do next? And that's the question we're pushing toward, you know, like, okay, so we got the brochure done, but now let's get all the wayside signs done so people can take independent walks on these trails and um, get the same information as anybody else walking on these trails. Let's um, audio describe the exhibits, you know, let's audio describe every, every place that visual media exists. Let's make sure there's also audio description there. And then that way, um, People come into these national parks, and these, again, are public resources paid by everyone, not just paid by some people, right. paid by everyone, and they exist for everyone. Um, let's make those accessible to everyone. 
Well, listen, you know, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank, Perfect. thank you again. And uh, hopefully we can talk, talk again soon. Absolutely. Let us know if, if anytime you want to come on. And, and Brett, don't go yet. I have one question for you. Sure. What's the temperature in Hawaii today? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'd say it's sunny and 78. <laughs> it's so like it's, almost every day. It's like it's either 78, 79, or 80. So that's got to be like 28, 30 degrees Celsius, right? Ah, okay. That's, okay. Well, I used to live in the Northwest, nice. so I was... Um, in the Pacific Northwest, so oh, well, you, I was maybe like five hours from Vancouver, oh, uh, Canada. And we went there all the time, and uh, that's where spent we a are. Lot of time in yeah. Canada, so I've enjoyed it. That's, that's um, twenty-five degrees Celsius. Twenty-five. It is a bit colder, a bit rainier, um, but a beautiful place nonetheless. It was two degrees Celsius this morning <laughs> <laughs> in Vancouver. Chill. <laughs> Good skiing weather. Yeah, it's getting there. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brett. All right. right. Take care. All right. Nice talking with you. You as well. Wow. That's a a much bigger project than I expected when we were coming into the show. I had no idea it was that big. Yeah. Well, and just think of it. It's a lot of work. And think of every building. Like you could do the aquarium, science world, theaters, museums, galleries. Like every public space could be described. Yeah. And this tool's free. Yeah. There's, I mean, the, the, the possibilities are are pretty limitless in terms of you know their workload Mm -hmm. like once they're done the parks yeah there's so many other uh things public spaces that 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 could be done as well yeah you know even doing you know any one given museum would be a huge absolutely huge huge workload so they should partner with way around for those public way around stickers yeah yeah well i was even thinking you know some sort of indoor navigation too you know you got the, the, your GPS or whatever to get you to the door. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once you're inside, you have this brochure from these guys. Yeah. And then, you know, it's describing the exhibits and it's describing whatever. Yet your other app is also saying, you know, to your left in 20 feet, you have blah, blah, blah. You know, like just the combination of technology. All right. We need to hook them up with way around <laughs> and right here. <laughs> you're the man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think that in the end, the, you know, the ideal solution is the marriage of a bunch of different technologies together in order to make it all work. Um, you know, the, the part of that whole thing was that kind of fascinated me was this idea of audio description and that skill set that, that it takes to really effectively, uh, describe something like an image. Rob even, sits with his arms crossed. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, well, like he said with his example, the t-shirt, you know, like my wife and I were at a concert on the weekend. And, you know, they said, you know, she said there's some gift tables set up and there's some books and T-shirts. I was like, you know, well, you could get into that. What kind of T-shirt is it? What color is it? What's on the T-shirt? Like, there's so much more detail that we miss as blind people. And not only that, not even just in terms of just the pure description part of it, but then you have to put things into context in order for the... Rob his hands together and then waves them about. Stop, (laughs) stop. (laughs) Rob lifts the middle finger. (laughs) (laughs) No, but... uh, you know the the context of the picture what's happening in the mm. picture like why why like why does the dog have the frisbee you know what's is it raining is it is it blue skies is it a, is it a, a picture that is supposed to evoke happiness I, I know that for myself in you know working on the website and stuff and doing the alt tags for the website a lot of times yeah you're just like image of 
a toaster. Well, and that's what he yeah. said. Alt tags are kind of like the start of audio description. Yeah. Right? At the end, it's so, like a dog and frisbee. Yeah, what you do. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to go through that course because I think that, that for sure, I think it's a, I think that it would help in terms of, of even just alt tagging pictures. Our um, alt tags are going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> They're going to be a paragraph. You know, as I was, as I was sitting here trying to, trying to figure out how to audio describe you, Rob, I, I noticed, and I never really thought about oh, it much here we before, go. but you, you do gesticulate with your hands a fair bit when you talk. Do I? Did, did you learn that when you were married to that Italian girl? Is uh, that, that's did, not is that where you picked that. it up? I'm not talking about that. <laughs> We'll have, uh, you know, we have to have Rob on the podcast as a guest. I, we you know should, what? Should, it's funny you should. say that. You know, it's funny. Turkey Auschwitz. It's funny that you should say that because I was thinking something similar. I was like, we should just do a podcast where we just talk about ourselves. Each other. Yeah. Like we just kind of interview well, you guys each did other. Me, right? Hmm? We did you as, yeah, as we, Ken as Tech, Tech, though. Yeah. We did Rick. Yeah. We did yeah. Rick as yeah. Chaos. But yeah, we've never Monkey really, boy. we've never really had a podcast where we just talk about ourselves and, and what. All right, I quit. No more podcast. We're done. <laughs> uh, might be interesting. Well, I'm going to no. write that down as an idea. Things we could find out. Yeah. yeah. Next time we're starved for content in terms of getting a guest on. We'll yeah, just... More more grist for the mill. Oh, so yeah, I just need to stop booking guests is what you're saying. There you go. <laughs> uh, okay. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Uh, where can people find us? ATBanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at atbanter.com and even better we're all over social media we're just everywhere we're, we're, we're on Twitter we're on Facebook we're on LinkedIn we're on Instagram Instagram I mean come on how hot is that <laughs> that is hot and, is it hot and soon those photos on Instagram are going to have the best audio descriptions <laughs> I hope so maybe I'll actually go to Instagram and see what's there probably not a lot <laughs> dogs and frisbees yeah. <laughs> a lot of duck faces yeah hmm. uh all right well that being said that's where you can find us and that is going to about do it for us this week big thanks to brett obergard for joining us and talking about unity and uh we will see everybody next week ciao this podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778 778- 847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.